Well, if we could uh, this morning with the Lord's help and uh, the Lord's enabling, if we could turn back to that portion of scripture that we read in the book of Genesis and Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37 and if we read again at verse 1. Where we read there, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colours. He made him a robe of many colours. God works in mysterious ways. God works in mysterious ways. You know, we're familiar with that phrase, especially when something takes place in our lives and we can't explain why? Because as you know, there are things that we, we don't have an answer for. You know, we encounter and we experience sins and sicknesses and sufferings and even sorrows. And sometimes we don't know why. We don't know how. We don't know what for. And yet we're, we're always drawn back to that promise in Isaiah 55, which reminds us that his ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. God's plans and paths and purposes are often not our plans, paths and purposes. But you know, what we know to be true is that every encounter and experience of sin, sickness, suffering and sorrow, it's all part of God's perfect plan, paths and purposes for our lives. Because he's the one who writes the story. He is the author of the story. He's the director in the drama. We might not understand the storyline. We might not foresee all the twists and the turns in the narrative, but he's the one who turns the pages. We might not even see him on the pages. We might not understand what he's doing in the story. We might not even know him personally as the author, but he's there and he's working it all together for our good. And ultimately, for his glory. God works in mysterious ways. And you know, it was the hymn writer William Cowper who, who first penned that phrase. It comes from a hymn called Light Shining Out of Darkness. Where William Cowper, he wrote, God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. And you know, in many ways, those words not only sum up the story of our lives, they also sum up the story of Joseph's life. Because the story of Joseph is a story in which God moves in a mysterious way. And God's perfect plan, path and purpose in the life of Joseph, it all took place according to his sovereign and supreme providence. It wasn't an accident. Nothing happened by chance. No, it was all part of God's perfect plan, path and purpose for Joseph and his family. And the story of Joseph, as you know, it's a familiar story. 
I don't think there's anyone who hasn't heard about Joseph and his coat of many colours. And the story of Joseph, it's not only familiar, it's also a favourite because it's a good story and it's a gospel story. Because as we study the life of Joseph together, we'll see that there are so many comparisons between the life of Joseph and the life of Jesus. And for that reason, I would suggest that the story of Joseph is the greatest story ever told. The story of Joseph is the greatest story ever told. But it's not only a familiar story and a favourite story. The story of Joseph is also a story of family. And it's a story of favouritism. And it's a story of faithfulness. The story of Joseph is a story of family, a story of favouritism, and a story of faithfulness. And they're our headings uh, this morning. The story of Joseph is a story of family, favouritism, and faithfulness. So first of all, the story of Joseph is a story of family. A story of family. We read in verse 1 that Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colours. The story of Joseph is recorded for us in Genesis chapters 37 to 50. And in many ways it forms the conclusion to the book of Genesis. And as you know, the book of Genesis, it's the first book in the Bible, and it's a book all about beginnings. In fact, that's what the word Genesis means. It means beginnings, because it's in the book of Genesis that we read about the beginning of beginnings. We read about the beginning of the world, where God created the world in the space of six days and saw that it was all very good. We read about the beginning of mankind, where God created man in his own image and after his own likeness. And he he gave us an identity, creating us both male and female. We also read about the beginning of the Sabbath, where God instituted a day of rest for all mankind. We read about the beginning of marriage, where God instructed Adam to have one wife and remain faithful to her throughout his life. And so in the book of beginnings, we read all about our beginnings. But it also means that we also read about the beginning of sin and sickness and suffering and sorrow. We read about the fall of Adam and how his disobedience affected all of his descendants after him. And it affected them to the point that only a few generations later, only a few chapters into the book of Genesis, we see that God destroyed the world with a flood and spared Noah and his family. But it was as Noah stepped out of the ark that God asserted and affirmed that there was going to be a new beginning. And a new Genesis was going to take place through another family. And when we come to Genesis chapter 12, we read that God called Abraham and made a covenant with Abraham. And God promised Abraham, he said to him, I'm going to give you a family. 
I'm going to make you a family nation. And through your family, all the nations in the world will experience blessing. Through your family, all the nations in the world will experience blessing. But of course, God's promise didn't come without its problems. Because Abraham and his wife Sarah, they had to wait 25 years before their only son Isaac was born. But in that time, if you know the story, Abraham, he took things into his own hands in order to to try and hurry God's timing. But as you know, you can't hurry God. Isaac, Abraham's son, he also had his own problems because his father attempted to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. He also was a single man for many years and he needed a wife and he eventually found Rebecca. And when he finally had children at the age of of 60, he had twin sons who grew up hating one another. The promise always had encountered problems. And the problems of of Jacob and Esau, they they were these twins who for many years they they were enemies. Because Esau sold his birthright for a pot of stew. And Jacob stole um, the birthright from Esau by impersonating his twin brother. But you know, it was receiving, through receiving that birthright that Jacob experienced blessing from God. And he was renamed Israel. And where Joseph fits into the narrative of Genesis and this story of family is that he was one of the children of Israel. Joseph was the 11th son of Israel. But you know, what we see is that throughout the generations, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, and now to the 12 sons of Israel, throughout all these generations, God's covenant promise to Abraham still stood. God had said, I'm going to give you a family. I'm going to make you a family nation. And through your family, all the nations in this world are going to experience blessing. And it's because of that promise of blessing to the world that we, are, we experience that blessing. And you know, that's what we were singing about in Psalm 105. We were singing about the Lord, the one who keeps covenant And how he has kept his covenant promise with Abraham. And he has kept that promise to a thousand generations. How the Lord is, he is a covenant making and a covenant keeping God. And you know, like Abraham and all his family, we are able to experience and enjoy and even enter into that covenant promise of blessing. We're able to enter in by faith in the covenant king. Jesus Christ. My friend, this covenant promise is a family promise. It's a promise to us and to our children. It's a promise for every generation that we will experience the blessing of God upon our homes and upon our families when we enter into this covenant by faith in the covenant King, Jesus Christ. And you know, as parents and as grandparents, I'm sure that we want nothing more than for our children and our grandchildren to experience the blessing of God in their lives. There's nothing else we want for them. 
You know, that's why we baptize our children, because we want nothing more than for the generation coming after us, and even the, the generations yet unborn, that they too would praise and magnify the Lord. And you know, today, even though this covenant promise was made thousands of years ago, in a different context and part of a different culture, and even though we might be as far away from the promised land of Israel as geographically possible. And yet, my friend, this promise still stands. This promise still stands, and we can be part of the promised blessing of God. We can be part of this great family by faith in the promised Son, Jesus Christ. But, you know, when we read through this book of beginnings, what we have to realize is that out of all that was going on, in the history of this world, out of all the drama and all the discoveries that were taking place, God was focused and fixated on this family. And God was interested in this family and what they were going through. And God was interested in them because they were the seed of the woman. Yes, they were from the line and lineage of Abraham, but they were also from the line and lineage of Adam. They were part of of the bigger picture of God's perfect plan and path and purposes and promise. They were part of, this was part of the bigger picture because God promised way back in Genesis chapter 3 at verse 15, a key verse in the Bible, God promised that the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. The seed of the woman will come and crush the head of the of the serpent. And that's what's alluded to in verse 2 with that phrase, these are the generations. These are the generations. Now, it's an interesting phrase because it's actually used throughout this book of beginnings in order to begin a new section in the story. Because we read in Genesis chapter 2, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. And then as you go through the the subsequent chapters, you read these are the generations of Adam. These are the generations of Noah, of Shem, of Terah, of Abraham, of Isaac. And then now we read in verse 2, these are the generations of Jacob. And you know, what we've been reminded with each and every one of these statements is that God was interested in this family. God was interested in this lineage. God was interested in what was going to happen to this family because they were from the line and lineage of the woman. They were from the seed of the woman who would come and crush the head of the serpent. But you know what's really fascinating about the Bible? Is that this phrase, these are the generations, it doesn't appear again in the Bible until we come into the New Testament. When Matthew opens his gospel with the words, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And you know, what Matthew is telling us there is that Jesus is the promised seed of Genesis 3.15. Jesus is the seed of the woman who came to crush the head of Satan. Jesus is part of this covenant promise. Jesus is part of this gospel story. Jesus is part of this redemption narrative. Jesus is part of this family story. He's part of this wonderful family and this covenant promise. 
And you know, my friend, as we begin the study of, of Joseph and the book of beginnings, I'd encourage you to read through Genesis. Read through this book of beginnings because the story of Joseph is a story of family. The story of Joseph is a story of family. But secondly, we see that the story of Joseph is a story of favoritism. It's a story of family and a story of favoritism. A story of favoritism. We read in verse 3, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colours. But when his, other, his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably, peacefully to him. You know, as we said, God's covenant promise to this family was not without its problems. And we certainly see that in this story because even though the story of Joseph is a story of family, it's the story of a dysfunctional family. Because contrary to God's institution of marriage in Genesis 2, where uh, you would have one husband and one wife, in this family there was one father and four mothers. There were two wives who were two sisters, Rachel and Leah, but there was also two concubines called Bilhah and Zilpah. And they all had children which means that there were 12 boys in the family and one girl. And in the, in the order of their birth, there was Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Dinah, who was the daughter, and then Joseph and Benjamin. And as you can imagine, in a, in a household with so many wives and concubines and so many children, as you can imagine, emotions often run high. There was lots of tension, lots of rivalries, jealousy, there was conflict, there was stresses and strains. And this not only affected the parents, it also affected the children. It was a dysfunctional family. It wasn't the norm. It wasn't the God-ordained family home of dad, mum and, and kids. It was a lot more complicated and complex than that. And yet, as we said earlier, God was interested in this family. God was interested in this family. And you know, I want to say to you this morning, my friend, God is interested in your family. God is interested in your family because the covenant promise is a family promise. It's a promise of blessing to families. And it's a promise of blessing for all the families in the world who look to the Lord by faith and obedience. And you know, the thing is, there's actually no such thing as a normal family. Because every family is, in many ways, a dysfunctional family. Because every family has flaws. Every family has, has failings and fallouts. Every family is different. Because there are families which experience breakups and breakdowns. There are families which experience sickness and suffering and sorrow. There are families with division and divorce. There are single parent families. There are young families. There are adopted families. There are amalgamated families. There are even some families in our nation today who have two dads and two mums. And yes, it's sinful. But my friend, they're still savable. 
They're still savable because the glory of the gospel is that God graciously comes to us and says to us, I'm interested in your family. I'm interested in your family. My friend, there's no perfect family. Not even the family of God is perfect. You know, more often than not, the, the, the church is a dysfunctional family. But the gospel says to us, God is interested in your family. God is interested in your family. And God was interested in this family. But in this family, there was favoritism. In this family, there was favoritism. Because Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. Because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colours. And when his brothers saw that the father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And they couldn't speak peacefully to him. They couldn't say shalom to him. And you know, as a father, it's quite a sad statement to read that Jacob loved Joseph more than all his sons. Because as parents, there should never be favoritism within a family. There should never be a popular or a prevalent or or a, a predominant child in the family. As parents, we should never show parental partiality because it only leads to distinction and discrimination and even division. And we can show favouritism. We can do it very subtly by spending time with one child more than another or showing less discipline to that favoured child more than the others. Or we can even give them privileges to this favoured child more than the others. But whether they're children or even adults growing up, there should never be parental partiality. There should never be parental partiality because of their age or their gender or their education or their manner or their abilities or even their sexuality or their income or even if they're not saved. You know, all our children in our family home and even in the family of God, they should all be loved and looked after evenly and equally. And there's no denying that that's hard to do. But that's the directive and demonstration we're given in Scripture. Because as God's children, God looks after us and loves us evenly and equally. But you know, you'd expect, you've had, you would have expected more from Jacob than to have a family favourite. Not only because Jacob was someone who knew the Lord and was part of this covenant promise and part of this, this, this family covenant... But, you know, Jacob had seen and experienced what family favoritism can do. When Jacob was a young man, Jacob's father, Isaac, he favoured Jacob's brother, Esau. Jacob's mother, Rebecca, she favoured Jacob. And because of this family favoritism, it led to feuds and fighting and fallout within the family. But, you know, Jacob, he not only experienced family favoritism, As a young man, he also experienced it in his marriage. Because when Jacob finally got married after seven years of waiting for a wife, Jacob was tricked into marrying Rachel's sister, Leah. But Jacob, he always loved Rachel. He always favoured Rachel and he waited another seven years to marry Rachel. You'll be glad to know that I have no experience of this, but I would assume that having two wives... Uh, would also create 
feuds and fighting and fallout within the family, even more so because they were sisters. But Leah was always second best. She wasn't first like Rachel. She wasn't foremost like Rachel. She wasn't, she wasn't favoured like Rachel because Jacob loved Rachel. And that's probably why Jacob favoured Joseph because Joseph was Rachel's firstborn son. You know, Leah had given Jacob six sons, but Jacob favoured Rachel's firstborn son, Joseph. But you'd expect more from Jacob, wouldn't you? You'd expect more from him than to have a family favourite after all that he experienced. He's the one who should have have known the discouragement and even the damage it would cause to his family by favouring Joseph. Jacob should have learned from his upbringing. Jacob should have have learned from his past. He should have learned from history that family favouritism, it always ends in fallout. You know, as Prime Minister Winston Churchill, he said in a speech to the House of Commons after the Second World War, he said, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. And that can certainly be applied to us but particularly to Jacob. Because by failing to learn from his own history, history was repeating itself. And Jacob was condemning himself by favouring Joseph. And yet Joseph, he wasn't the firstborn in the family. Reuben was. Joseph was the 11th born. Joseph was the 11th son But Jacob treated Joseph as if he was the firstborn son by favouring him and giving to him that famous coat of many colours. Now it's not clear that Joseph's coat of many colours was actually a multicoloured coat. Uh, The literal translation, it certainly wasn't a high-vis jacket either, but you know the literal translation of the phrase phrase, coat of many colours It literally means a royal tunic, a royal tunic, which highlights that Joseph's coat may not have been multicoloured, but it was certainly of royal colours, the colours of blue and purple and gold. And it was a long tunic, as we said to the children, it had sleeves right down to the wrist and it, it stretched, the coat stretched all the way down to the ankles. It was a garment of a sovereign not the garment of a shepherd. And by giving this coat of many colours to Joseph, Jacob was not only favouring Joseph and saying that he loved Joseph more than all of his other sons. You know, he was saying more than that. Jacob was letting all the members of the family know, all his wives know, that Joseph was Jacob's chosen heir. And as you'd expect, Joseph's brothers hated him for it. They hated him for it. But the story of Joseph is not just a story of favouritism. It's also a story of faithfulness. It's a story of faithfulness, which is what I'd like us to consider lastly. So the story of Joseph is a story of family, a story of favouritism, and a story of faithfulness. A story of faithfulness. We read in verse 4, but when His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. They hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even 
more. You know, these verses, verses 4 and 5, they repeatedly emphasise to us just how much Joseph's brothers hated him. And to be fair to them, you can understand why. Because Joseph, he was one of the youngest sons. He was one of Jacob's youngest sons. He was only 17. He had no life experience. He didn't really have any cares or commitments or or concerns. And yet he was the favourite son. He was the golden boy. He was the heir of the father's inheritance. But you know what really annoyed and angered Joseph's brothers was that Joseph was a grass. Joseph was a clipe. Joseph was a telltale, and no one likes a telltale. Because it seems that at any given opportunity, Joseph would just run off to daddy with the slightest problem, and he would tell him everything that his brothers were getting up to. And, you know, that's often what it's like in our house. I don't know what it's like in your house, but the boys in our house, they're always telling tales on each other. They're always shouting, I'm telling, I'm telling, I'm telling. But it only makes the other ones annoyed and angry. But you know what annoyed and angered Joseph's brothers even more was that Joseph came to them. And he came to them in many ways like the words of, in the words of Martin Luther King. He said, I ha- I've had a dream. I've had a dream. And you know, you can almost imagine the scene, can't you? Where early one morning, Joseph's elder brothers, they had all been up early and they were all sitting at the the, the kitchen table and they're all eating their breakfast. They're all trying to, to rush through their breakfast and get out the door and tend to the sheep. And then Joseph, he just casually walks in, still in his pajamas, and he, he makes this announcement to the whole family. And in the presence of his father Jacob and uh, Jacob's four wives and his 11 sons and his one daughter, Joseph announces to them and he says in verse 6, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. But you know, what's more is that it happened again the following morning. Joseph came down to breakfast and he said in verse 9, Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. And we're told his brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. You know, Joseph's brothers, they, they probably thought that Joseph was already a bit of a dreamer. But, his, but this just took the biscuit. This, this, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. And Joseph's announcement, it only heightened the annoyance and anger of Joseph's brothers because Joseph, he, to them, he came across as arrogant and, and big-headed. But you know, my friend, what Joseph lacked at this point was character. What Joseph lacked was character. Yes, Joseph was a good boy. Yes, he was the golden boy. He was the blue-eyed boy. But he was still a boy. He was only 17. He was young. He was immature. And he was miles away from having character. 
But the thing is, God was beginning a good work in the life of Joseph. And God was going to use Joseph's experience. God was going to use Joseph's years to give him character. And it was the Apostle Paul who reminds us in Romans 5. He reminds us how God gives us character. How does God give us character, my friend? Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces patience, and patience produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because the love of God has been poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit. You know, God works character into our lives. He faithfully works character. And that's what the story of Joseph is all about. It's a story of of faithfulness. Not Joseph's faithfulness or even Jacob's faithfulness, but God's faithfulness. Because in the story of Joseph, God is faithful to his covenant. God is faithful to his gospel promise. God is faithful to his word. And the thing is, God had spoken to this dysfunctional family. He had spoken to them through Joseph's dreams. And we know that God had spoken because Joseph had two dreams with the same emphasis. And these two dreams were the two witnesses to the truth of God's word. They were two, two dreams were two witnesses to the truth of God's word. Now, of course, God can communicate his truth to us through dreams or visions or prophecy. But that's not the primary means of communication now. As the writer to the Hebrews affirms to us in the New Testament, in these last days, which is now, in these last days, God has spoken to us through his word, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, as someone once said, if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. And if you want to hear God speak audibly, then read your Bible out loud. Because God has spoken, my friend, he has spoken through his word and God is speaking this morning. God is speaking this morning through his word. His word in scripture and his word that is the saviour, Jesus Christ. And the thing is, we're to trust God's word. We're to take God at his word because God is faithful to his word. He's faithful to his promises. And that's what the story of Joseph is all about. It's all about God being faithful to his promises and to his people. The story of Joseph, my friend, it's a story of family. It's a story of favoritism, but it's also a story of faithfulness. It's a story of faithfulness. But the story of Joseph, as you know, it's history. It's his story. It's a story of God's faithfulness. Because the main character in the story of Joseph isn't Joseph. The main character in the story of Joseph is Jesus. Because Jesus is on every page. Jesus is on every page. And that's why this is the greatest story ever told. Because Jesus, he's the one who writes the story of our lives. 
He's the author of the story. He's the director in the drama. And like Joseph, we might not understand the storyline. We might not foresee the twists and the turns in the story of our lives, but he's the one who turns the pages. Jesus is there on every page. I know that's what William Cowper came to discover. And I hope and pray that that's what we'll come to discover too as we study uh, the life of Joseph together. I hope and pray that we'll come to discover that God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. This is the story of Joseph, but it's also the story of Jesus. It's the greatest story ever told. Well, may the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we give thanks to thee that thou art faithful to thy promises, that these promises that they have stood to a thousand generations, and they will stand until the end of time. We thank thee, Lord, that they are like thee, a God who never changes, a God who remains constant, a God who is always faithful. Help us then, we pray, to, to come before thee, and acknowledge thy faithfulness to us and to trust thee in the story of our lives that we might not know what is going on in our experience today. But oh, we thank thee that despite everything that thou art the one who knows the story, thou art the one who has seen the end from the beginning and help us then as we go into a new week to trust thee, to lean upon thee and to look to thee. Go before us then, we pray. Keep us, we ask, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, we're going to bring our service to a conclusion this morning by singing to God's praise in Psalm 89. Psalm 89 in the Scottish Psalter. And we're singing from the beginning. And Psalm 89, it's a psalm, as you know, it's a psalm that encourages us and exhorts us to, to sing of God's mercies and to praise God for his covenant faithfulness. My friend, we worship a faithful God, and that whatever you're going through this morning, he is faithful. He will not change. And your song today, your song today should be Psalm 89, God's mercies I will ever sing, and with my mouth I shall thy faithfulness make to be known. To generations all. So we'll sing Psalm 89 to God's prayer.